All right. So I feel like this is an appropriate time for me to ask the alien question again, which is if we were aliens, we're traveling back in time to 1943 through the, the space chute comes these two movies, the leopard man and the more, the merrier what's going on on earth. Oh man. Um, well, there's a lot of people around and only uh, only some of them are interesting though. <laughs> Maybe okay. that's what we've learned. That is definitely true, but I would also say everyone's struggling. Like yeah. oh, everybody's yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to make a buck. Like it seems like nobody's in in a place physically or a situation that they want to be in. Like, I think if I were an alien, I would pretty quickly understand that the world is at war at this point, which I did. I made sure to check. And we were still, uh, 1943, we're still a couple years away from the end of World War II. And I mean, you know, we're in the middle of the Panini, as I'd like to call it, no end in sight. Not that different from our 1943 uh, relatives here. Yeah, um, I I also did pick up on that now that you mention it, that idea of like they're both kind of struggling to make rent or to make a, a decent living and they kind of have to be smart about their money and they're always kind of worried about what's coming next. Um, yeah. And there's a lot more women than men. Uh, yeah. Like for for every one man, there's at least four to five women. Yeah, because the war took them all. Exactly, and I think that you actually see that in both movies. These yeah. are these are women heavy films. Whether whether those old patriarchs wanted it that way or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, shall we go uh, full steam ahead? I can't wait. Damn the torpedoes. Necromancer. Necromancer. My name is Shira, and I like romantic comedies. My name is Brett, and I like horror movies. Each week here at Necromancer, Brett here picks a horror movie, I pick a rom com, and then we flip flop those movies, turn that rom com into a horror, and the horror into a rom com. This time, we have stepped into the time machine and gone back to the year 1943. This isn't the first time that we've decided to just pick movies from the same year, um, but it's been a while since we've gone back and done a year as a theme, and I like that you wanted to do this. Yeah, I I mostly pick modern-ish horror movies. If I if I pick an older movie, it kind of the like the seventies is kind of the furthest back I go. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, I just want to watch an older horror movie. Let's let's come up with any kind of excuse for that. Um, but you also have good taste in in older movies, as I think the more the merrier shows. <laughs> You know, the more the merrier is kind of not that dissimilar for me than uh, it's weird to make this comparison, but Frankenhooker in that I caught it on TV and it watched me more than I watched it. So I didn't have a big memory of this movie. I, you know, I think Joel McRae's hot, so I'm pretty much willing to watch any movie that has him in it. And he happens to be pretty funny, so... Uh, I tend to have faith in him. Um, but yeah, I actually didn't know whether or not this would be a good movie. I just, when you, when you gave me the leopard man, I was like, all right, okay. What did, what was created in 1943 and the more the merrier actually racked up a bunch of nominations. And I think a few awards after it came out, it was a very well liked film. So it felt like, okay, let's let's do a film that's definitely of its time. And this film is extremely of its time. 
And the yeah. leopard man is too, but also I can understand how the leopard man has become a bit of a cult classic because it, I don't know, horror, I feel like horror as a genre is not afraid to just shortcut to the best effects and drama. Like as far as visual drama, horror movies have no problem just relying on, you know, tried and true old as 1943 tricks to make things feel suspenseful. Yeah. uh, Leopard Man's a very cinematic movie, uh, but it's just like a series of short buildup. Like it's like a, it's almost like a kid friendly B Halloween movie where you can take the kids to go see it. And if I was, if I saw this as a kid, I probably would have loved it. Um, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's just a nice horror movie. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the more the merrier is kind of also just like, it's a nice romantic comedy. Yeah. With, with nice, well-meaning people. Right. Um, yeah. Both movies, I think, have a, a, a tie-in between like, um, like, what's the best use of your time? And is it just like, is goofing off a good use of your time? Like, is it okay to just goof off? Um, which Joel McRae played Sullivan in Sullivan's travels. Right. And that deals with the same kind of thing where he's like, I'm a serious filmmaker and I don't do comedies. And then by the end of the movie, he's like, you know, comedies are pretty good. Like everyone needs to just relax and laugh every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think both movies show that in this period of time, people needed entertainment more than ever. Yeah, both movies are highly entertaining. All right. So which of these entertaining movies do you want to talk about first? Uh, I'd love to talk about Leopard Man first, because that movie's short, and it feels almost more like a TV show. You know, similar to Blood the Last Vampire, I would yeah. I would have to agree with you, but you know, argument in favor of old movies, if you are a listener and you're like, old movies, black and white, ugh, that sounds boring. They're all so short. You They're really very like short. <laughs> you know, in twenty twenty one and also being ADHD, I just there's I have a limited amount of time in which I can commit my attention. And even when I watch a longer movie for this podcast, I have to pause and, you know, make sure that I'm able to retain it all because I I have a very limited attention span. But old movies do not demand that much of you. It's not a two and a half hour trek into whatever is bothering Terrence Malick now. I don't know. Um, it's very short and you, you get to a pretty satisfying end quickly. Yeah. I just watched the new Bond movie. (laughs) (laughs) How how long was it? Two hours and 43 minutes. Oh, that sounds brutal. I I just, (laughs) I feel like I wish people who made movies thought about how uncomfortable it is to sit in those chairs, even the nice chairs for over two hours because my body hurts when i sit that long yeah i'm not as i don't think i'm as picky as you i'm a little bit more forgiving uh in terms of giving minutes in terms of giving movies longer run times but 90 minutes is perfect i'm not a bond fan and so i went into this movie fully knowing that it was not for me and like after the first 40 minutes, I was like, oh my god, this is brutal. <laughs> and it was all downhill from there. It's way too long. <laughs> it's way too long. But mm. um, but could have taken some notes from the Leopard Man. Yeah. Although, if we're being honest, I think the last 15 minutes of The More the Merrier is a, just a little bit too much. It's got a little bit of that rom-com like we're gonna go for one last big Notting Hill moment when it's like no just get them together make them kiss and end the movie they they did do that and they definitely could have gotten to the payoff sooner um, yeah, so you take 15 minutes of more the merrier and put that onto the leopard man because i could have used 15 more minutes of oh, like you would you would have wanted a little bit more 
what what this movie was was this movie kill? was kind of like it it kind of was like an episode of Hannibal, right? Oh yeah, it kind of is an episode of Hannibal, except Hannibal wasn't the killer's therapist, unfortunately. Uh, right. He would have made him even crazier. Oh, it would have been such a great twist to find out that the reason that the killer is the killer is because Hannibal made him crazy after he talked. Uh, yeah, yeah. I it, uh, I didn't even think so about Hannibal, that. Hannibal, though, uh, Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar for Hannibal, uh, playing Hannibal in Silence of the Lambs, and he's only in that movie for about 15 minutes. So it's perfect. You take 15 minutes of Hannibal, put it into the Leopard Man, and then you've got like a an A-tier movie. But instead they got rid of Hannibal, or I mean he wasn't a thing at this point, but they 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 forewent a Hannibal type character and were like, no, we're going for the B movie fun. And uh <sighs> I like it. <laughs> Yeah, it replaced Jerry with Hannibal, and it would have been so much better. Jerry is such a Jerry as far yeah. as just being like, I don't know. I in nineteen forty three, it was still cool to be just a bland white guy. It took us this long to get over that character type, but he was still going strong here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So shall we? Shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. So, courtesy of Wikipedia, we learned that we are in a sleepy little New Mexico town where nightclub owner Jerry Manning has hired a black leopard as a publicity stunt for his girlfriend, Kiki Walker, who's a performer there. Uh, and Kiki uses the opportunity to interrupt the act of her rival, Clo Clo, who's also Gabriella. I like Gabriella, but I guess for the purpose of this, she's Clo Clo. Uh, by storming into the restaurant with the leopard on a leash, angered Clo Clo frightens the leopard with her castanets. I loved her castanets, her little clickers. Yeah, if if anybody else had always wondered what those clacking instruments are that flamenco dancers typically have, they're actually called castanets. I, I didn't know that. Me neither. But yeah, I liked that gimmick of if if you're going to make a B horror movie, give people gimmicks because that makes Ugh. them cool. The castanets, the castanets was a brilliant gimmick because it's kind of like, you know, people with fidget spinners. She yeah. never went anywhere without those castanets. And it was just the click clack that accompanied her wherever she went. And yeah, I thought it made Cloclo super cool. Um, and then the leopard escapes, it flees into the night, uh, and Charlie, the Native American owner of the leopard who leased it to Jerry, begins pestering about money to replace the cat. Uh, and what happens is this poor, poor girl named Teresa, she goes, this whole plot line is very strange, but her mamacita, as as she's called, um, asked Teresa to go and get cornmeal. And because the shop near them is closing, like we go through the whole thing. She goes to the shop that's closing. And they're like, no, I, I don't want to weigh out cornmeal for you. Go yeah, away. I got to turn the lights on. I got to scrub the instruments. I got to count and out I the gotta, meat. Yeah, yeah, I got to weigh it. Yeah, no. Um, and so she has to go across or really under this incredibly creepy bridge um, and has to go to this other store. She gets the cornmeal and then on her way back, she is killed by a leopard, the leopard. And it's very clearly the leopard that kills her. Oh, the scene was pretty cool, though. Like when you see the leopard's eyes reflected in the darkness yeah. and then they go away. And then you get um, 1943's version of a jump scare when the train goes over her and that spooks her. Yeah. And you hear kind of the wail of the train and it's like a scream, you know. Yeah, I I thought it was a uh, it's it's a again it's like a good kid fairy tale esque like you know like the girl doesn't want to go out because there's rumors of a leopard but f the mom is like there's no leopard out there just go out there and get the food 
And it's so sad because she's getting chased down by the leopard and then she's banging on the door for Mama Sita to let her in. And I'm not I'm not making a joke. That's what she calls her. She she's always like Mama Sita, um, yeah. which I found was an interesting touch. But um, but yeah, so she's banging on the door. Her mother won't let her in. And then she says, oh, it's coming for me. And by the time they're going to let her in, the, you know, the lock's jammed and you just see the blood come through the door. And it was very effective for, you know, a movie in a time where they're not going to show a woman's mauled corpse, obviously. Right. Yeah. I I thought the same thing. Everything about the scene was acceptably fun, especially for being a 1943 movie. I was having a blast, but there is one part where Mama Sita... When she finally realizes, oh, no, wait, my daughter's in trouble. Her her gear shift of like, eh, it's no big deal. I'll open the door. Hold your horses. You're just being a little whiny baby to, oh, my God, your life is in danger. That switch is just a little too jarring. And Sonia and I couldn't help but laugh out loud. <laughs> <laughs> what did but, Sonia think of Mama Sita? Uh, I mean, so- Sonia was passively watching it. I don't know if she has any... <laughs> thoughts about mama sita specifically but um but yeah i feel like it kind of it, it reminded me a little bit of um god t- you know how touch of evil has charlton heston as a mexican cop and he just speaks the way that he talks right it just makes me think of that um it, yeah it was very much that that vibe um but so it's ruled an accident because we're presuming she was mauled by the leopard uh and multiple people tell jerry hey man not your fault dude and i want to say that it is kind of his fault because he decided to take this big wild cat to use it for a publicity stunt. I mean, maybe you could say it's Charlie's fault because he sold the big cat to him. But having seen Tiger King, I'm just, you know, I'm very anti big cats used for entertainment. But I um, think we were not here at that point. I, I liked the pointing out the ball on the water and how there's forces beyond. Like, yeah, like these are I got the impression at the beginning that these are two struggling people who who kind of want to like hit it big in the sense that they won't have to worry about money anymore and being entertainers and showmen and doing like I I can I can see where they're coming from and yeah it sucks that like that's what happens is a little is not a little girl, but a a young girl dies as a result. But then again, like turning this into a a murder mystery movie where he's the one who's the voice of reason is, is an interesting touch. And I think if you had a Hannibal character, you could tie in some of that. that, Oh, like like he goes to see a therapist to cope with causing this young woman's death. Yeah, something like... And the like, therapist is a creep who yeah. also sees Galbraith. It'd be perfect. Like, I, I think that would be so cool. So in my mind, I just kind of, like, wrote those scenes in where I'm like, okay, yeah, so now he goes for his his existential crisis. He goes to the Hannibal character who fucks with his mind, and now he goes back out to solving this weird serial killer murder mystery. Well, but right now we just assume that this is the leopard that that did all this. So, so now we're looking for the leopard. We can't right. find the leopard. And then another woman, Consuela, she in another really well filmed scene goes to a graveyard to visit her father's grave, and then the gatekeeper locks the gate to the cemetery and she's trapped inside which of course is such a great horror movie thing and then we see the shaking of a tree branch and her screaming and then we're presuming that again the leopard has killed someone or has he well also she's there to also meet up with raul that's his name right raul 
And mm-hmm. oh yes, because it was her birthday. She got these flowers, but we're trying to hide the fact that they're from a man because her right. family's super protective. But yeah, she wanted to meet with Raul too. And so then after the cemetery gatekeeper guy leaves. I think it's Raul who's on the other side of the wall who's saying like, hey, it's you're just locked in the cemetery. Don't worry. I'll be right back with a ladder. No giant cat is going to attack you. <laughs> like, And so then, of course, she the, the branch moves and then it flicks up. And it, it is really cool because like this is kind of that first little subtle foreshadow of like, wait a minute. We don't see the cat from this point on. <laughs> yes we really don't the i mean and your your imagination just fills it in like of course it's the cat right and everybody says that it's the cat but then after learning of this second murder jerry basically starts to question everything he's wondering why the leopard would remain in the city because charlie is pretty certain like oh yeah that leopard is gonna get to anything that looks like wilderness He's going to go, he's going to hide, and then he'll probably starve to death. You know, he's he's more afraid of us than than we're afraid of him. Yeah. Um, and so then um, Charlie and Jerry are going around wondering what's going on. And then this is when local historian and museum curator Galbraith uh, basically makes him believe charlie believed that he might be responsible and he's like well were you drinking that night maybe when you were drinking you went out there and you killed that lady well okay so one yes it it is very 1940s you you could have blacked out and (laughs) killed her because that's what men in the 1940s do all the time they they drink until they're totally blackout drunk and then they kill people. Right. And then they go climbing trees and jumping down <laughs> on people and, and murdering them. I mean, and escaping without leaving a trace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I think what he's doing is he's kind of saying like he's he's more playing devil's advocate in the sense of even even if this were true. The cops have a million suspects. Like, this guy could be a suspect. This guy could, like, anyone could be a suspect. So he's kind of playing that, like, the prosecutors still would would have their work cut out against him. So, because he even says later, he's like, hey, I didn't really think that you did it. But the the poor guy, he takes it really personally. And he's like, wait yeah. a minute. Maybe I did do it. He puts himself in jail, which ultimately just gives him a very convenient alibi. Because guess yeah. what, people? The leopard, maybe, strikes again. Well, also... So- He's sleeping in his car, I think. He's got like a little circus get up. So I th- I don't think he minds a few nights in a a, a room with a bed. I, I think he's all right with that. <laughs> yeah, Char- Charlie is is definitely in the movie to add some color. Right. Um and and so meanwhile, Clo-Clo is kind of having a good night. Her fortune teller friend basically told her like you're you're probably going to meet a rich guy. And then she seems like, ooh, but then something is going to happen possibly. But but let's not focus on that for now. So Clo-Clo does indeed meet an elderly, wealthy man who gives her a $100 bill. And I think that their scene together is pretty cute. Because yeah. Clo-Clo is out having a cigarette, drinking a beer. She sees the rich guy come over, so she puts her beer in the bushes and, you know, starts to schmooze with him because, you know, she's trying to make that money. She needs to get her life going. Um, But he very quickly spots the beer and is like, okay, I know I ordered this champagne, but don't you just want to have a beer together? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. And then they have a beer together and it's cute. Uh, and he, he doesn't give her a $100 bill for any sleazy reason. It's He likes her and he wants her to be happy. Yeah, and she's um, got like, she's got a kid and she's got a, 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 a boyfriend or something. Yeah, like she's got bills to pay and people to take care of. So even though at this point in the movie, I think she's portrayed as more of a like, she's going to kind of get her comeuppance for being the 
the enemy. saucy castanet girl. Yeah, she's like she's the one who scared the cat, and she's the one who has the rivalry with our main lady who feels really Kiki. bad. For, yeah, Kiki. Like they've got a little rivalry going. So, but then in this moment, they're like, "No, let's give her a few minutes." And yeah, like all of this is really tragic. We're all just balls spinning in a fountain. It's. <laughs> I like. I do like that metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> we're all just balls spinning in a fountain. So yeah, Clo-Clo gets the hundred dollar bills. Immediately goes back to her fortune teller friend, which is always a great character. And the fortune teller picks up her cards again and she sees something bad. The ace of spades keeps coming up. Uh, and she the amount tells, of times she's just like, eh, you know what? I messed up. Let me reshuffle. Is <laughs> It's comical. It, it, yeah, it's so obvious that something <laughs> right. bad happened. Um, but yeah, Clo Clo is, is like, no, no, life is good. Um, Maria, though, the, the lady warns her, be aware of something black coming to claim you. So on the way home, Clo Clo gets stopped by a man in a black car and is like, get away from me. And yeah. then she she runs away and she realizes when she gets home, she that makes it she, to safety. She makes it to safety, which is makes it even sadder because oh. she realizes she forgot the hundred dollar bill. She must have dropped it somewhere well, she along needs the that way. Money. She needs that money. So she has to go out again. And then while she's out, she, I, I like the whole gimmick with the cigarette. She, yeah. she's on the, the street corner. She lights her cigarette and puts on some lipstick because she sees someone coming. We know that it's a person, but then she gets killed and the cigarette falls into the puddle and we know that she's at the end. Uh, yeah, I, I like that whole cigarette falls down we know that clo clo is no more yeah it reminded me a little bit of constantine having just rewatched constantine i love how mm-hmm. cigarettes can be it's such a great shorthand to show the passage of time oh yeah yeah for sure so then kiki and jerry are just they're like all right we're out of here we're just done with this place like they haven't solved the mystery yet but they're like all right we're tired of it let's go to chicago um and this of course coincides with an annual procession in town which is very strange they're like oh are you going to the procession right oh yeah the procession oh what's the procession about like it it feels like a horror movie for like a town to randomly have this tradition that's a procession and it's meant to come it's meant to come commemorate the mass murder of the natives by the conquistadors but then the people who are in the procession are wearing like it looks like clansmen outfits that were dyed black it's very strange and upsetting yeah but i don't think uh, that's got to be like how the swastika was was used by hitler to and he bastardized it and turned it into bad thing like I think those those outfits have to be like, oh no, they're just innocent outfits. And then the Ku Klux Klan took I'm them curious. over and were like, no, now they're evil. Yeah, no, I mean they they have a way of doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, I found the outfits to be very unsettling. Yeah, but it's supposed to. It's it's a somber, dark. It's not supposed to be a joyous event. It's supposed to be upsetting they killed they they committed genocide shira it's not uplifting they're not gonna put on rainbow technicolor robes i i mean i'm not expecting that i'm just <laughs> but so, okay so kiki and Jerry, no, yeah it's weird it's out of nowhere and it's it is weird. super weird it's like oh and by the way here is this extremely strange procession that's meant to commemorate a really depressing and horrible episode in the history of this town um right. and yeah everybody takes off work for this day it's a thing um state fair of texas this is not (laughs) um but uh kiki and jerry they're just about to leave they get this bouquet of flowers from galbraith 
Uh, and Kiki revealing that all along she's just been a huge softy, even though she's been trying to keep it all bottled up and she wants Jerry to be a manly man too, reveals that she wants to go and put the flowers on Consuela's grave before they leave town. Uh, and so they go to the grave and they meet up with Charlie, who tells them that the leopard is dead uh, and its fur has been taken. He presumes the cat has been dead for at least a week, which basically proves that these murders, at least the ones after Teresa, very clearly Teresa was killed by the cat. Um, Great but, reveal. Uh, but the others, nope. Um, and I really, it's a small character touch, but Charlie says, like, it's been dead for a week. Its skin, even its skin is useless or something. Because here's a guy who's going around struggling to make money. You imagine he probably could have at least made a fur mm-hmm. rug out of it. Or, like, so the fact that its skin was all decayed. Well, he's a Native American. Or right. he's meant to be. He's, you know, he's going to use what he can. So, yeah, like, it was a good character touch to be like, yeah, he knows it's been a while. And then that also confirms the fact that, wait a minute, this is a man. Yeah, this is definitely a man. And Charlie basically immediately calls into suspicion Galbraith, who he saw in the area, and he thinks he killed the leopard. So Jerry's like, Galbraith killed the leopard, so Galbraith killed the people. He tries to turn him in, um, but the police don't believe him. And so I think, is this like a Scooby-Doo thing, scaring people into admitting that they are the the criminal? Yeah, here's where um, a little bit more Hannibal Lecter buildup could have come into play, where it's like more of a mind game on how they have to trick this guy into revealing himself or like go it is a mind game. route or something but yeah it's it no they they wanted to wrap this movie up and they 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 choose a very interesting way to get him to turn himself in essentially which is during the procession galbraith hears a woman scream coming from the cemetery um, and then when he goes into the museum, he hears the sound of castanets. Like he, he also sees a cigarette on the ground in the same place where, uh, con- uh, not Consuela or Clo-Clo dropped her cigarette. So they're like, they're kind of like spooking him with yeah, all of these memories from the murders, I guess. What's the Edgar Allan Poe thing? The House of the Fall of Usher or the Or the Telltale Heart? Yeah, the Telltale Heart. Yeah, where it's like... He's so wrapped with guilt that he he, he thinks he's like going mm-hmm. insane and yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the hard under the floorboards type right. of deal. Uh and then Kiki comes to the museum where she decides she wants to uh watch the procession from the window with Galbraith and she's like, turn off the lights, <laughs> we'll be able to see it better. And then once the lights are off, that's when things get freaky and Galbraith tries to to kill her and jerry comes in just in time to save her galbraith goes into the street he you know gets into the he gets tangled into the procession uh and jerry and raul basically apprehend him and uh they get galbraith to confess to murdering consuela and cloclo and he says that he did it because he saw what the leopard did to Teresa and it turned him on. He, he mm. was into it. Like he couldn't stop thinking about it, which is why when you say the Hannibal thing, yeah. I could totally imagine Galbraith in session being like, God, seeing that leopard attack yeah. that woman really me awoke ow. something. <laughs> yeah. Meow. It awoke something in me. And then Hannibal says to him, he's like, well, yeah. don't you want to be the leopard man? Right. And he, <laughs> you know, keeps egging him on until he does the murder. And he's like, so how did it feel? Yeah. He's like, Oh, it felt great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the leopard man. <laughs> um, nobody in this movie ever says I'm the leopard man. And that's the only thing that, I would have changed. Right. Um, um, but yeah. it, Raul just can't take it anymore. And he just shoots Galbraith right there and then just street justice. 
Um, and then later on, Jerry and Kiki basically reaffirm that they really love each other. And she's like, I'm really soft. And he's like, I'm soft too. Let's Aww. be soft together. And they yeah. do. Let's bounce atop the fountain of love. <laughs> right oh yeah he brings back the metaphor yeah. of the ball floating in the fountain and he's like yeah that's you and me kiki yeah <laughs> it's cute it is cute it it works it it definitely works for for this movie and i you know i like that they they tried to to give us a little bit of relationship stuff yeah and again like i used to watch all these older universal horror classic type black and white movies. And, you know, so like it, it just brought me back to those days of, yeah, it's a simpler, a simpler kind of horror tale. Um, but very effective. Yeah. It makes me curious to check out. Cause you're the one who sent me the guy. Uh, I, I had to go to you for some some guidance in terms of how to pick something good from the Oh, 40s. Val Luton? Yeah, Val Luton. You're the one who sent me that. And so, yeah. Cat like, people. Yeah, I, I know cat people. I've never seen it. So now I'm I'm much more curious to go check out cat people. Cause, like, hey, we can take the time machine to a close by year. I'm down. I yeah. Cat people is a good movie. Or we've done pets, but we haven't done cats as a theme. Meow. Meow. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't stop saying that. I'm really <laughs> sorry to everyone listening. I I can't stop. Won't stop. Meow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would totally do cats. Um, yeah, there's talk in this house now that we have a puppy. Kitty for Christmas has been on the docket. Uh, we think that Ernie should have a, a kitty brother or sister. I love it. Yeah, we, I, it, in order, before you introduce Ernie to a, a little kitten, I think he's got to meet Johnny, one of my cats. And okay, we he's met two cat. he's oh, met he two cats before and he did pretty well. Like, All right. he, he was excited by them, but he didn't try to like mess with them or anything. Right. Like he yeah, was more cautious. Yeah, he was more cautious of them uh, than they were of him. Yeah, that's yeah. You got to get the dog a cat friend. And then oh, you got to yeah. get the cat a little mouse friend. And then you get the mouse a little cricket friend. Ah, uh, If you give a mouse a cookie, yeah. then he'll <laughs> give, give it a to mouse his a cricket. cricket. Yeah. If you give a mouse a cricket, he'll give that cricket half of his cookie. Um <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, I, I liked it. I, I thought that it was effective. Yeah. So, uh, I can go first, I guess on the, the remake. I had a lot of fun doing Wait, this before we get into oh, the right, remakes, right, 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 right. we got the question, which is, who'd you have a crush on? I had a crush on, I did not look at her name ahead of time but the um the fortune teller oh maria yeah i thought she was great um her her constantly saying like oops i messed up let me reshuffle but also <laughs> just the way that she like she's got this really laid-back casual relationship with Cloclo, and they kind of are, are I like, like that yeah, they had a really interesting relationship and how, like, she teases her at the first time they meet with, like, pick a card. No, really, it's free. It's on me. And they just seem, they seem like two, you know, two, like, witches hanging out in this small town. And they're they're kind of into the same stuff, so they kind of hang out together. But they're not really friends, friends. But, you know, they don't have anyone else. So, I don't know. I just thought that the relationship was really nice and... Yeah. I agree. I liked Maria too. My crush though was definitely on Cloclo. Uh I loved her castanets. I loved yeah. that like as she was walking around through town saying hey to everyone that she's cl clacking those castanets. Uh it was perfect. Yeah, she was like a cartoon character. She was the the lady who everyone knew around town who, you know, like 
yeah, it'd, it'd be cool to have to go to a town where some lady just walks around clicking and clacking and she's got her own little swagger and everyone has their own little relationship with her. Like flamenco you know, flora. Yeah. Like some people can give her high fives, but other people just ignore her and oh, that's just clo clo. <laughs> yeah, she she was a nice character. It sucked to see her die because she she made it home. She got safe, but she had to go back out for the money. She had. She to. was definitely the hardest one for yeah. me to take. And Teresa, they were all difficult. None of yeah. those girls deserve what they got. Yeah, I mentioned like I, I would like this as a kid, and and like it's kind of kid friendly and stuff. But also like, no, the deaths in this movie suck. Like, like you feel bad for everyone who dies in this movie. Oh, for sure. Uh, so you were about to say about your remix that you wanted to go first. Uh, yeah, I've got a pretty good one. And again, one of my favorite things to do when we go into older territory like this is to, again, like, make the movie, imagine how it would feel and flow in that 1940s cadence of how movies operate. Because these movies definitely feel way different than modern movies. Oh, Um, yeah. And so, like, it just would be cool to see. I just love, I love how much the 1940s movies embrace hijinks. Um, both of these movies are essentially just hijinks movies. Only one of them involves people dying and the other one involves cute will they, won't they tension. <laughs> but um, I called mine a spot of magic. Oh, cute. Aww. And so we're going to start off with the main lady. Uh, I'm terrible with house. Or Kiki. With Kiki, right, right, right. So Kiki, what she is, is she's like a house cleaner. Remember that movie Sunshine Cleaners or whatever? Yes. Yeah, I've never saw it, but that's what she does. She goes into houses and she 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 picks up after people after they've died and packs up all their stuff. And so she's in this world where like she sees love at the end of the process And we can make it so that she just got out of some kind of relationship or maybe she remembers someone from like 10 years ago who she thought was the one, but you know, she just never could connect with them. And, uh, and as she's cleaning this house, she puts away a photo of a man and a woman who are like entertainer, 1940s entertainer types. Right. And so then as she's cleaning this house, maybe she, maybe someone comes in and says, you know, like, uh, like, I don't know how PC this is, but like a gypsy type character. She comes across a gypsy type character who sort of gives her that fairy godmother cursely kind of nudge to be like, let me sprinkle some magic on this lady. Oh, a spot of magic? A spot of magic. So then as the lady's going into her van to clean up the stuff and pack up the stuff, a circus van breaks down nearby and a leopard like hijinks ensue and the lady and the leopard bump heads or something. And then we transfer wizard of Oz style back to the 1940s and Kiki is now a leopard and she has to like get back to her time, right? There's no place like home. Oh no, Kiki. So we get that sense of like, you know, the leopard and we get Kiki's monologue, inner monologue, as she converses with herself and has to like narrate everything she's doing because she's in this crazy 1940s world as a cat. And so then we get the same kind of premise of the guy, um, whatever his name is, the there's Jerry, Jerry. So we'll say Jerry and Clo-Clo are like, because I already used Kiki. We'll say Jerry and Clo-Clo are an agent and entertainer, right? And so he gives her the leopard. I'm going to go with a, a classic leopard, not a, a black leopard. Because I got a, you know, it's a, it's called a spot of magic. I can't have a black leopard. So then... We need spots we can see. Yeah. So then um, he gives her the cat. And the the we learn that... Clo-Clo has a crush on her agent, but she feels that it's helpless to, because maybe she's been warned, never get a crush on your agent or something. But essentially... Don't mix love in your career. Yeah. Human Clo-Clo and Cat Kiki kind of bond over this, like, lost love kind of 
thing. And so then Kiki makes it her mission to not only does she have to get back to the zoo, because we'll say that the gypsy who put the curse on her to begin with had like some kind of symbol, like a spiral symbol on her bag or something. And then she sees in the newspaper that there's a zoo near or a circus nearby and it's got a spiral symbol. So she's like, oh, maybe if I go to the circus and meet up with this gypsy lady, then I can go back home. She can teleport me back home or whatever. But in the meantime, she's going to try to hook up Clo-Clo and the guy. So we just have hijinks. So it's like Wallace and Gromit. We have a scene where maybe she wants to make him dinner, but things are going wrong. So the cat has to like help manage things and run up. She ratatouille's dinner? Yeah, she's got to like run up the stairs and get this and come back down. And then, oh no, the salt, there's too much salt got poured into the thing. So then she's got to like balance it out, but she's a cat. So she has trouble cooking. Uh, There's like a secret lover rendezvous mix up where maybe the entertainer has like a cute harmless stalker but someone who's got a crush on her and then they don't want her agent to find out because she doesn't want the agent to think she's involved with this guy so then we have like the cat has to keep the agent busy and like manage some of that like you know and the more the merrier where it's like well they're almost in the same room Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a museum scene where maybe there's a fundraiser and then the cat has to like go and maybe stop some burglars or something. And we just do cat hijinks and the lady's a cat and it's cute. And then eventually she gets them together. But then when she goes to the circus, the circus is gone. But then of course she realizes she had the power all along through something Uh, or whatever. Wizard of Oz rules. Right. So then she, she, she goes back into her normal time. And then the, the circus people capture the leopard. And then she goes back to fixing the house. Right. Cause she's got to clean the house. But then when she goes in that photo of the old man and the woman, it now has a cat next to them. And we learned that those were the people she got together. And then that turns out that the person that she thought was her long lost love was actually the great, great grandson of these people. So he comes into the house and he's like, I'm looking for my grandparents' photo. And she's like, here it is. And they're like, it's you, it's you. And then they hug and they kiss. And so it's it's like Marty McFly's girlfriend went back in time instead of him. Right. So yeah, we have a little bit of like she goes back in time to to innocently meddle with love and then because of that she gets rewarded with love herself. But it's like a 1940s screwball comedy with a lady and her cat and we just get hijinks. I like that. Yeah. I feel like that is a good logline. A 1940s screwball <laughs> comedy about a lady and her cat. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a that's a TV guide description of this is what the movie's about. A spot of magic. Cute. Ah, you put me to shame. Yeah, well, sorry. (laughs) I like how you immediately agreed with me, too. Nice one. Well, I don't want to be like, no, I'm sure yours is great. No, no, no. I like I like this better, (laughs) but I had I had to do that. But also. I'm working on like a home field advantage. I have four cats in my house. You have one dog in your house. So yeah, I think, I think that that definitely gives you a home field advantage. I will give you that. And legitimately a spot of magic is totally a movie that I would watch. And Oh my God, the, the little, even though I hate the idea of big cats being used for stunts, like, you know, again, from Tiger King, we saw the, the big cat trainer for the, movies and he was a weird guy too right you know there's just so many ways it could go wrong but oh it's just all the stunts and stuff with the big cat it would just be yeah. so funny especially yeah. the cook the cooking scene is is really the centerpiece here right yeah well yeah then we can move that we can fix all these and move all these around i don't want to have the centerpiece of the movie happen right away but <laughs> Yeah, I, I well I would I, say that the date kind of would happen middle act, right? Because this is, you know, she's finally gotten them together. They're going on a date, they're coming back true. to Clo yeah, yeah, yeah. Clo's place, but how are we gonna get through dinner? Hygiene <laughs> galore. It. So how about you? How did you find turning this into 
You know, I thought I had it in the back. I was like, I got this. I was like, this immediately came to me what I wanted to do, which is kind of like gentlemen prefer blondes. I wanted, you know, the, the brunette and the blonde to team up together to two little girls from little rock, essentially. Uh, and I wanted to give it a little lesbian twist. So instead of Kiki and Jerry, yeah. Uh, instead of Kiki and Jerry, which kind of bored me, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cute if rivals Kiki and Cloclo got together? I mean, it's Kiki and Cloclo. Yeah. So of course they belong together. And not only do they belong together romantically, they should solve mysteries as well. This sounds great. So not very original. I called it the Leopard Girls. Yeah. And so we've got Kiki and Cloclo. They're rival performers at this nightclub in New Mexico. And they hate each other. But they're also jealous of each other. And maybe they're also kind of a little attracted to each other. Uh, I would love to work Maria into the story. Like Maria's trying to hint to Cloclo that somebody's going to come into her life who she loves. And it's not going to be the person she expects. And maybe Cloclo's like, well, what's he going to be like? Is he rich? Is he this? Is he that? And Maria's like... He? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it'll be that obvious. Right. Um, but so in, in classic Brett language, we got Cloclo, who is the risk taker. She's the free spirit. She's clacking away on those castanets. Kiki, she's this uptight New Yorker kind of snooty. She's the um, the risk assessor. And she's waiting on Jerry to deliver her big break, but Jerry's kind of sleazy and he's like, nah, let's try this thing. Like, let's let's get this big cat in the mix. Um, so Jerry leases the leopard for this publicity stunt. <laughs> of course, it gets loose, but this time, instead of killing an innocent girl, the leopard kills Jerry. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I don't think we're that sad about Jerry. Um, no. So then Kiki vows to find the leopard and, you know, and Cloclo actually offers to help. And at first Kiki's like, no way. You're just going to get in my way. I don't want any help from you, Cloclo. Forget about it. We could have a scene where Kiki is gone from the the whatever the bar that they compete at because right like it's Mm -hmm. cool in this movie how they both like work the same space and they compete for attention yeah kiki's gone so cloco's like fine get out of here more attention for me but then we find out that the crowds sort of dig like the the competition between the two (gasps) and the fact that she has no one to to make her rise to her best means that the people aren't really interested so she's like fine i'll she help needs you find Kiki the cat back so that you can come back to the bar and then we can both make proper money again oh this is perfect brett because this actually feeds into my third act game plan yeah. so you gave me a great note there so absolutely what you just said happens so cloclo needs kiki Kiki needs Cloclo, but she doesn't know it yet because at first she refuses Cloclo's help. But you know what? Kiki's not from here and Cloclo is. Mm. So Cloclo knows everyone in town and they're going to talk to her. They're not going to talk to Kiki. So maybe Kiki deals with initial surliness from the locals and then Cloclo comes in clacking those castanets and is like, what's up, Raul? (laughs) And, you know, everybody responds to her. So the girls start to investigate it together. We get more murders just like in the original movie. You know, it's it's a she-ra pitch right. why would i take out the murders brett that's what you expected me i did weigh the idea though very briefly i thought okay should i do a shifter romance but the truth is and i've said this before i don't really like shifter romances i'm sorry no no kink shaming on those of you out there who are into shifters and werewolves and stuff like that it, it's just it's never really done it for me and I've actually already done two shifter romances, I think, for this podcast. And for me, two was enough. Um, yeah. 
So I, I went back to my tried and true, which no, is... I, I like this one. Yeah. Hot, hot ladies solving mysteries. So they're getting closer to the truth. They're also getting closer emotionally. But I think for me, I decided the conflict would be that Clo learns that Kiki has accepted a residency at a club in New York City. And Cloco assumes that this means Kiki's going to go away and they're never going to see each other again. And maybe Cloco tries to explain she's having a hard time. There is a kiss, but Cloco maybe feels used. Like I'm not just a one night kind of girl. Like what we have between us is forever or it's nothing. And this is 1943. So that feels like an appropriate vibe. Everybody's like, either we're going to get married and we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, or you're going to get on a bus and we'll be strangers for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Like I found that to be an interesting thing with the more the merrier. It's like, either we're in this forever and ever or goodbye. I never even knew you. And I'll never see you again. People are like very ready for those extremes in this time. Um, but so Clo runs away. And when she's running away, she bumps into Galbraith, who is the real killer. And she goes back with him to his office to discuss the murders. Like maybe Clo-Clo's like, Galbraith, I want to ask you some questions about the town. Like, I think I'm getting really close to solving this mystery. And he's like, excellent. Um, (laughs) And, you know, brings her back to his place. And then, of course, just then... Kiki might learn key evidence. Like maybe Charlie goes up to Kiki and is like, Hey, I think this is going on. And then someone else is like, Oh, I think I saw Clo Clo go, <laughs> go with Galbraith. And so of course Kiki has to rescue her. Yep. Um, and then when Kiki comes to the rescue, it turns out that uh, Clo Clo had it all in the bag and we can get kind of a wonder woman moment where maybe uh Galbraith is tied to a chair and, Kiki has one heel on the arm of the chair and it's cool and sexy. Um, And then um, they, you know, the police wrap up the scene and this is when Kiki gives her whole, I'm actually a big softy speech to Cloclo and is like, you know, I'm in love with you, this and that. And then it wraps up with her saying, now, how do you feel about a joint act? Because going back to what you were saying, Cloclo knows that the rivalry between her and Kiki is what draws the crowds. Kiki loves Cloclo. Cloclo loves Kiki. Of course, now they have to bring it all together and share the act. So we cut to the curtain rising. Marky reads the leopard girls. They're wearing these really cute little leopard pinup outfits. And then they just start doing their song and dance routine. And, you know, the movie ends with them, you know, doing their show and it's fun. Yeah. Roll credits as they're singing and dancing and interacting with the crowd. And we can have characters from the movie all in the audience. And Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like gentlemen prefer blondes. Yeah. But I like but it. Lesbian. Right. Well, hmm, hmm, meow. <laughs> to quote the guy in Frankenhooker, that's not natural. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that that was my twist on it. Yeah, I th- I think both of these are are really good. It's always I think it's a, it's always a fun to just go back in time and write movies for an older era. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that the older era would have been ready for something like this. Like, either Kiki Cloco or both of them would have had to die before the end of the movie. But, um, yeah, I think I, I would love to do a throwback. Like, yeah. Carol, but funny. <laughs> <laughs> that, you're talking about the Kate Blanchett movie? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Rooney Mara. That movie needed way more shenanigans <laughs> especially for the time period right yeah eh, oh well well you heard it here first the only thing wrong with carol is that it was missing shenanigans <laughs> 
All right. Well, that is all for today, folks. Before we get into our love bites, I just want to remind you to follow us on social media as well as like us and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, doesn't all, it also doesn't hurt to write a review. You know, it would be nice to hear what you think of us. It would be nice yeah. Uh, just a nice think about review that. for a nice podcast that talks about nice movies. Exactly. All right. Getting into Love Bites. What would you like to recommend this week, Brett? I am going to recommend the brand new My Little Pony movie. Uh, You're a brony? No, but uh, I'm not actually going to recommend that. But I did spend like a weekend, an extended weekend with my nieces and nephew. They're eight, six, and five. Oh, is this your first exposure to the new My Little Pony? Yes. I thought it was fun. I mean, you know, watching it with kids and like there were some moments where I was like, oh, they're going in this direction. That's really cool. Or there were some moments where like, I was, you know, thinking like, oh, they have to find all the diamonds, but then they, then the power is going to come from within. And, you know, the nieces are like, have you seen this movie before? (laughs) I'm like, no, (laughs) but I've seen a lot like it, but it was cute. Um, But of all the stuff that I watched with them, I would have to say Hot Wheels City on Amazon was by far the best. Like I was legit. I'm going to go out of my way to go back and watch the rest of it. This uh, a little show called Hot Wheels City, where these two Star- Hot Wheels City, yeah, these two Starsky and Hutch type characters live in Hot Wheels City, and like giant monsters start attacking giant animals, and it's stop motiony type uh, robot chickeny animation. And the characters get in their cars and all the cars are just Hot Wheels and they drive around and they have the super awesome garage, which is loaded with a specialty car for every situation. Like they were driving on sand and they were spinning their tires so fast that they created sand tornadoes. But then the monster, the giant spider attacked. So then they had to switch to Jeeps to get better traction on the sand. And they did it by this plane flies overhead and parachutes them down and it's just an absurd show, but it reminds me a lot of like Phil Lord. Like if Phil Lord and Chris Miller's name was attached to this, people would be talking about it like like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs or something. They'd be like, "Wow, this show's oh, I great." I remember that was a good movie. Yeah, like this is great. It's really cute. It's really fun. It's funny and it's nonstop. And the episodes are only like six to 12 minutes or something so it's essentially a movie that they for kids they cut into chunks uh, they've done that uh shutter the horror service shutter had a, a brand new critters movie that for some reason they just cut into like nine 10 minute episodes but it's a movie it's essentially a movie um but yeah i love i loved it hot wheel city it's fun hot wheel city hot it's town somewhere in the fun. city <laughs> um yeah so that was my my love bite um how about you what's yours so you know me i love sticking with the theme and noticing that it was jacques Turneau, french director jacques Turneau, who and i guess back then in 1943 they were like jacques Turneau, we don't like that so they called him jack turner <laughs> in, the, in the u.s but I, I was looking at the movies he directed, and you know we mentioned Cat People earlier, but he also directed a noir movie. And anybody who listens to this podcast knows I love a good old-fashioned thriller. He directs a really great movie called Out of the Past. Have you seen Out of the Past? I don't. I don't know. I don't think I have. But no, the whole the only reason really why Sonia watched this movie with me was because she looked she, you know, she's like, "Oh, movies from 1943. What are they? Let me IMDb them." And she was like, "Oh, Jacques Turner. He he did Out of the Past. I love that movie. Sure, I'll sit down and see what he's got. I've got an hour to to hang out." You see, and there's Sonia, another woman of good taste. 
she knows out of the past is an excellent movie so highly recommend if you haven't seen out of the past watch it it's a it's a great storyline robert mitchum is a man who is just trying to get a new start in a new town but then his past catches up with him in the form of Kirk Douglas, who basically he's kind of playing a a crook, like an organized crime type of guy. And he tries to get Robert Mitchum. He tries to reel him back in uh, and by hiring him to track down the femme fatale, Jane Greer, who Robert Mitchum has some history with. So it's, it's, it's just a really well-made movie. And, you know, you talked about how cinematic uh, The Leopard Man is and, and Out of the Past is the same way. Yeah. Um, and Robert Mitchum is just really amazing as this damaged man who is trying to purify himself. But the forces of darkness that are just his life uh, keep coming back to get him. So like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those classic nor type tales of a man who's trying to be a good person, trying to lead a good life, but he keeps just falling back into the darkness. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like a good classic noir. I've heard the name out of the past. Oh, and yeah. the, the end is gut wrenching. I think, you know, yeah. sometimes I, I feel like, like older movies are 50, 50 on endings. Sometimes you get something like nobody's perfect where it's like, Ooh, you just put the perfect bow on top of this movie. Uh, and then there are other times, like, I think these two movies don't necessarily have the greatest endings. Like they, they don't give you a nobody's perfect, uh, type of ending, but out of the past has a nobody's perfect that breaks your heart. It's just great. All right. I like it. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it. All right. Well, that's all for today. Sign us off, Big Daddy Mars. Meow, 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 meow. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.